Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Greetings. Greetings. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, your host at Visual Workplace Radio, our weekly radio show where we explore and celebrate visual workplace principles and practices, concepts and tools, methods and strategies, as well as the people and results of the visual work environment. This is a show about letting the workplace speak and therefore about work that makes sense. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed your operational system into the living landscape of work through visual devices so we can reap the huge financial and cultural benefits and also enjoy ourselves at work. Yeah. Let me add to that by saying it doesn't matter what you make or what service you deliver, visuality is designed to help you mightily make that, deliver that more safely at the targeted quality or better, at your targeted cost or better, and make you happy while you're doing it. (laughs) You get happy at work (laughs) because work flows without the struggle of missing information, without the struggle of motion, you get happy, you do good work, you flow, you excel. And then you got happy customers as well and plenty of them. So it's a solution. It's like this mammoth mega solution. Visuality is about the informational landscape of work and the fundamental function of any work environment is translating information into exact behavior. That's what all work is about, translating information into exact behavior. In a visual workplace, we don't leave it to the mouths or the hands or the books to do it or the binders or the emails. We do it through visual devices. These devices hold information And because they hold that information, they influence, direct, or even limit, even compel the right behavior. They ensure adherence to standards. They create stability. And that gives you a platform for improving that stability and eventually growing. They are your intelligence, your operational intelligence, specified and deployed through visual devices and visual systems embedded. (laughs) <laughs> so I want I want to make a clear statement of that because today we're going to be going into the tools of executive visual leadership. And I want you to bear in mind that that framework, that paradigm, applies precisely to the executive function under visual leadership. There is no difference except in the types of devices. It is still eye-driven. It is still... The first driving question, what do I need to know? And the second driving question, what do I need to share? What do I need to know to run my company, to run it successfully, to forge a direction, to drive in that direction, to check that direction, and to help my company grow? What do I need to know? It's the same thing as if you were asking, I need to know where my pliers are. Those are the tools of the operators, the tools of the executive are actually flat formats. They're usually two-dimensional, not three-dimensional. They're just flat, and they hold information that is draped around structure, and that structure is what allows the information on that thin piece of paper to interact and to reveal its secrets, its insights, its strength, its direction to the knowing executive the executive being a CEO, a COO, a GM, and also being a plant manager. The ranking side executive on a site in a factory is usually the plant manager. He or she has mega decisions to make, but not just decisions, direction. 
where am I taking this company? Where can I take it? Where do I want to take it? How do I get there? The shorthand for that is the corporate intent. The ranking site executive, be she GM or site manager, is forging a direction, deciding and driving. You will remember last week we went through the profile for a supervisor, new identity. Well, this week we are building on the format that we had the week before on the executive identity. And if you remember that format, it said very, very clearly, smack in the center of it, that for an executive, the executive's work is to lead. Remember we talked about the seven elements of becoming a leader of improvement for the executive level? Hexagons, seven hexagons, six-sided tiles. In the center is the anchor element for the executive, which is to lead. That's your job. You're not just in charge. You don't just have to worry. You don't have to just make things happen. You have to lead. And there's a big difference between coping and leading. So this new job description is organized around the anchor element, lead. And the very first action of the leader is to decide it's the hardest thing to do. The only thing that is remotely harder, or as hard, I should say, as hard, is driving. So at 12 o'clock, you have decide, and at 6 o'clock, you have drive. Do you remember that array? Lead is the anchor, and then decide, align, inspire, drive, Verify, grow, and you're back at decide again. The anchor element is lead. So what I said to you is that we're going to focus on, this was several weeks ago, several shows ago, we're going to focus on first identity, naming the identity of the new leader, focusing first on executive and then supervisor's manager, separating those two. We're going to identify that identity Describe it in these seven tiles. And then we're going to talk about the tools that will actually teach the executive, in this case, teach the executive how to fulfill those those tiles. What are the behaviors? And this is a, a connection, a combination of ideas and structure. So we're building the architecture, ideas and structure. We're building the architecture of of being an executive leader. These are not terms that I use lightly. They are terms that have developed very, very deeply in my work in general, in the visual workplace since 1984, the power of structure and the power of the limits of those structures, literally the limits of those structures. Today, we're specifically going to be focusing on what I call the OSIT, shorthand for, here we go, (laughs) Operation Systems Improvement Template. It's a template for improving your operational systems. It has um, ancestry in the house of Toyota, which I found to be, when it wasn't inadequate, then it was confusing. And I determined that... When I had the opportunity, this was about 20 years ago, to instruct um, senior leaders in helping them use visuality to improve their jobs, that my template, my temple, my house, would really help them move into a greater definition of their job. So it would become a position of leadership. All of this is kind of, um, you know, a, a, a causal chain beginning with that first encounter that I had in 1985 at Akibono Break. And the plant manager said, we have no managers, we have no supervisors, we have no team leads. This title doesn't exist. We only have leaders of improvement. So this is a coherent model. 
it is a little bit hard to explain linearly, though I am in the process of writing this very book, it is much easier to explain it and then give the work assignments of leaders doing it. So today I'm going to explain OSIT. I probably will only get to the first four levels. There are 13 or 14 levels. So the technologies of the visual workplace are methods that enable us to embed our intelligence, our operational intelligence, into the living landscape of work through visual devices and visual systems to embed that intelligence, embed your thinking, embed your solutions. That's their purpose. And it doesn't matter if you work in a hospital, a bank, an engineering office, a retail outlook, corner restaurant, dry cleaners, massive distribution array called McDonald's, or an assembly plant or an open pit mine or a military depot or a college. doesn't matter where work happens, and it happens everywhere. Visuality is the language. Okay? And it is physical. You see it. You can touch it. It is structural. Visuality structures in our intelligence into the physical landscape of work so that we can grow those structures, but first so that we can use them and then we grow in our ability and then we grow as people and we grow as contributors and innovators and problem solvers and solution makers. These structures that we call visual devices are very intentional and they are there to help us grow. The cultural component impact of visuality is really impossible to track as a point-to-point cost-benefit. You will be able to do a cause and effect on 70% of your visual devices. This is just me kind of speculating broadly. But another 30% are just there because people are inventive and they want to improve their lives and their lives at work. We are natural thinkers. It is our distinguishing characteristic. This is what separates us from whoever is not us. We are thinkers. And we have a built-in improvement mechanism, a need. It is called the pattern-seeking ability of the mind. The mind is a pattern-seeking ability. We find a pattern finally and we build on it. And we create the next pattern that's called invention and problem solving. So all of this is natural. But it is coming through the back door in work as we know it, as it began in the Industrial Revolution. That which is natural to us is just entering into the play of work. That's what the Japanese gave to us. It's that they discovered it first, the importance of this amalgamation of thought and benefit, cultural and financial benefit. So, you know, I feel very, very, uh, it's not even strongly, I have repeatedly seen the power of visuality to liberate the human will. You've heard me say this frequently. The liberation of information, which is what the visual workplace does, is the liberation of the human will. And another way of saying that is visuality grows leaders. In my view, this is an excellent motto for your OPEX function. We grow leaders. This is what we're using currently in in Mexico and in all my new conversions. We grow leaders because visuality is the framework that liberates the struggle in us and leaves room for growth and shifts in identity. So our focus today is describing how visuality and the visual formats of visuality transform executives into true and mighty leaders of improvement on the strategic and tactical level. This has been my experience, period. We have never not been successful. 
in this except when the person doesn't want it. If the person doesn't want it, then they're in charge of their own will, and we move on, and so do they. But if they want it, we can help. I want to, before I go into the OSIT, talk a little bit about the difference that may seem the same to you right now, but I hope in three or four minutes you'll see an important difference. The difference between seeing and vision. Because I want to talk about LCD monitors and their rightful place, small but rightful place, in operations. So seeing is linked to information. Vision is linked to meaning and therefore understanding. Seeing is, in a way, short-sightedness, and vision is the long view, where you see the meaning and have an understanding of the direction and why. Vision begets the answer to the why question. Seeing gives you information and doesn't calibrate it, doesn't formulate it into a shape. Just because we see something with our eyes doesn't mean we understand it. More often than not, what we see with our eyes is only an interpretation, sometimes even an illusion, and sometimes even deception. We see it with our eyes. We put two and two together and assume it's three, when in fact vision tells us it's five, or maybe four, or maybe 25. So the visual tools of executive leadership lead executives to understanding, insight, connectivity, vision. These tools teach so that we can learn. They are not LCD monitors. I mean, you've seen this, executives in front of an array of LCD monitors eating up the data. I could have said before, seeing has to do with data, but that's too much of an affront. It has to do with information. But these executives are standing in front of the LCD monitors And they're not really focusing on the announcements or the meeting schedules or the upcoming company events or how the fund drive is going. They are instead fixed on data on productivity, yield, machine availability, OEE, KPIs, sometimes in real time, flashing in real times, big shiny screens, full color right on the floor at Gemba, maybe even duplicated in their offices so they can keep line of sight. Splendido, splendido. Executives love it, and so do supervisors and managers. They, they are all over the moon, at least the ones that are new to the game, new to their posts. And we must ask why, suspiciously. <laughs> well, the answer is pretty clear. It's because the monitors provide big real-time data fast. And because executives, managers, and supervisors who are starving for information, any information, can tell at a glance if the production is on or off track. Right now we're in a factory, but you can make the corollary to your depot or to your healthcare center or to your office or to your school. We get an answer to, should I worry, really worry, or can I relax? Is everything going south, or are we for the moment A-OK? Of course these data are welcome. Instead of scooping through tons of reports and fighting for visibility, the manager has it, sees it, and so do you. I am not against LCD monitors as long as we understand that they represent the thinnest spectrum in the world of visual information sharing, limited to very limited. LCD monitors are a part of visual management. I did a whole show on this on September the 17th. They provide line of sight, 
They're especially important to managers and supervisors because they provide information on which, by which they, managers and supervisors have to make rapid, expeditious decisions right in the middle of the workday. They see their fixed and firm schedule crumbling before their eyes and they got to do something. Their context is get it out the door, get it done, get it done right. You can't blame them. I do not blame them. As long as we recognize that this data does not provide a context for making decisions that are visionary, providing direction. They don't provide that. And for the executive, these data are not functioning widely enough for his purpose, and his purpose is the corporate intent. Deciding and driving, what is the horizon? Data has limited use, important but limited use, short-term, you know, within the hour, decision-making, firefighting that comes out of it. Visual management, there are maybe three or four substantive ways to move into visual management so that you are maximizing that particular band of opportunity in the continuum of visual categories of visual function. Visual management is one of them. The visual wear doorway number one is another. Visual leadership is another doorway four. Pokey Oak Quality Systems is another. Doorway six. The machine is another. Doorway seven. But visual management is a, is one narrow spectrum contributing, my reckoning is, 10% impact on the full capability of a fully functioning visual enterprise. Again, listen to my show. It's three or four shows ago. It's called Visual Management is in the title. It is... N- so far from the be-all and end-all that it is dangerous to think that it is because it's sort of like being in a sinking boat and thinking that this little tin can is all you need to save the boat because it enables you to uh, bail water, tin can size, while the boat is filling uh, gallon size. It's going to outrace you and you won't know why. Okay, so your visual management does not change the bottom line. It's not a trigger. It is not in itself powerful. It will trigger powerful interventions. I'm making a correction on my language. It will trigger powerful interventions from senior managers who see the data, but that is not the same thing as setting up an architecture that enables you to decide and drive a horizon, a corporate intent. That just means we have a clever Wharton School graduate or maybe an ex-military site manager or GM who knows how things work and knows when to act and knows when to apply the power. And he'll or she, she'll, turn things around lickety-split, and there'll be a save, but that's not the same as stability, and it certainly isn't the same as growth. You will be a hero, but you will not necessarily have a kingdom to rule. And these activities, information and the immediate response, while life-saving from time to time, do not change the bottom line, and do not impact the work culture. We celebrate that the information is finally available, but it is very pale compared to meaning, understanding, and language. Okay? Leadership, and here we're going to focus directly on executive leadership, requires more than data or information. And it even requires more than meaning. It requires understanding and insight. We are going to, in visual leadership on the executive level, we are going to decide 
in order to lead. Decide the destination. Decide our vision of the future beyond the border of that destination. We are going to become intimately knowledgeable about our constraints, our resources, their limitations. We need much more than data and information. We need structure. We need to see the relationship between things. This is the purpose of structure. This is why I like so well the hexagon and the seven tiles constructs because we see the relationship between these seven elements. We also see sequence. We see positioning. We can pull out an element and watch the wiggle. We can put it back and see how it stabilizes. We can find the logic. We are in the realm of thinking, the full capacity of our mind, thinking. I mean, sometimes we call it creatively, but I prefer to say full capacity. Creation is the primary function of our mind. So it's just doing what God has given it to us to do. It is not extraordinary. Well, you know, it really is spectacular because we don't see it that often and we don't experience it that often. So the architecture of leadership is a visual architecture that is to say it is physical. The house, the osset, no less so. So just to remind you, we are in doorway four of my 10 doorway model, which is described in great detail in my book, Visual Thinking, Visual Workplace Visual Thinking. It uh, is available through our website, visualworkplace.com, Amazon. This is the book that describes the model, and we're in doorway four. Owned by the ranking side executive, be that GM, CEO, or plant manager, you are in charge. You set the corporate intent. And even though you may have to do a step down, if you're a plant manager, you're going to have to do a step down of your GM's corporate intent, the buck stops with you. The transition from visuality and operations to visuality in the boardroom is not an obscure one. You simply change the players. It's not abstract. It's not off the beaten track. It is the power of the physicality of visual devices. It is the power of structure. Lots of corollaries with operators. We've spent 10 or 15 shows on operators, and we'll spend another 30. But right now we're in the executive suite. So the OSIT. Let's peel that onion. What do leaders do? First, 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 leaders decide. They decide. They decide on the horizon. They clarify the customer. They drive the enterprise in the direction of that horizon for the benefit of the customer. Leaders are in charge of vision, principles, values, strategy, systems, and resources. Kapump. That's it. Vision, principles, values, strategy, systems, and resources. Yes, mission is in there as well. So closely tied to vision. We'll talk about that. In visual leadership, executives intentionally deploy physical mechanisms, physical mechanisms, visual devices, to focus that horizon and drive us towards us. They require this of us. They need us. And visuality are the tools of their trade, and they make it so. Name the horizon, focus needed resources, drive the company towards it, check, check, check. Slowly at first, but always relentlessly. Leaders must be able to see their organizations behave 
in order to help them move forward. Leaders name and own the horizon. So the OSIT for me is the most effective way to do that. And there are two other main tools in this structure. We have the identity, the seven tiles with the anchor tile being lead. Okay, lead, decide, align, inspire, drive, verify, grow. That's the array. Did I say decide? I think I said decide. I did say decide. Sometimes I get on on such a track that is, um, let's say, uh, my my discussion is really so complete. It's like a hologram. I feel it feels like I'm in the middle of a hologram, which is the same in all directions. You can enter it at any point and you can find your way to there from any point that I uh, when I try to switch to being linear it's it's a little bit hard because it changes the nature of my thinking I've come to enjoy it but sometimes it's a little bit um, in real time um, disorienting so the three tools are and the three tools that support the identity are operation systems improvement template Today's discussion, we'll start it today. The X-type matrix, my favorite, my great, great heartthrob, and the war room. Not an obeyer room, not just information, but we're going to win this war kind of room. (laughs) All of them instruments of structure. I just want to say a little bit more. I might be going too far and you'll throw something at me. A little bit more about structure so you you get the difference. I decided to include this and I may be overdoing it. Forgive me. But the power of structure, it's like, well, first of all, I don't mean meetings. I don't mean that we're going to structure an email or structure a meeting or have a series of meetings that are predictable that follow a certain protocol. I mean something like this. It is a, it is a thing. Structure is a, an architecture that exists beyond concept or idea. It is concrete and specific. It has its own requirements. It is more than words. It is more than meeting, and it requires behavior. It is a physical connection between an idea and deployment, incorporation. For example, it's not just I remember my appointments. These may be very uh, obnoxiously simple examples, but I'm, I'm searching for a way to bring you uh, into my thinking. Not just, I better remember my appointments, but a day timer. A day timer requires the entry of the appointments, requires me to close the book and open the book in order to get the outcome. So it becomes physical. Not just, I better slow down so I don't run over the neighbor's dog as I'm speeding to my house, but a speed bump, a speed bump that makes me slow down. That's structure. The other is hope. I better slow down. Well, let's turn that into a reality, a speed bump. And not just I need to get more focused on moving this company forward. I need to help it grow. But an operation systems improvement template to make sure that there is a physical connection, an articulated connection between vision, direction, resources, customer, company stability, growth, etc. Okay? All right. So we're going to name the horizon. So would you please, in your mind's eye, imagine a house. You can start with the house of Toyota, the temple, but I suggest to you that the temple has some serious, uh, if not mis, mis, misleading parts, then let's say uh, secrets, some serious secrets. These houses are not sufficient in themselves. 
But let us just think about, for example, the house of Toyota, the temple. And it's, you know, you pretty much have it memorized. You you know what's at the base. You know Judoka is one of its um, one of its pillars. You can see all of the components of the Toyota production system. But I also want to say to you, there's something missing in this house, but it's a good start. But don't depend on it to forge a direction. One of the things I do when I teach this is I take that information inside of the Toyota production system temple and I pull the structure out of it. And you know what I have left? I have a list. Goal. Highest quality, lowest cost, shortest lead time. Beginning of the list. Just in time. Continuous flow. Tack time. Pull. Under it, hijunka. Column continues. Jadoka. Stop and notify of or abnormalities. Separate man's work and the machine work. Standardized work. Kaizen stability. It's a list. The architecture gives it some meaning, but it's got some serious missing components in terms of using it, operationalizing it. The same thing, for example, I'm looking at the House of Quality right now, has pretty much the same list. This, I believe, uh, there's the one from Kellogg's. Kellogg's, everyone, every day, pursuing excellence in all that we do. And here we have world-class manufacturing, and then we have the various pillars, including quality and including lead time reduction with teamwork and 5S, environment, health, safety, leading and managing change. So this is their attempt to get it all stuffed in. I understand I understand. And even the Danaher production system, which I'm looking at right now with its inputs, its arrows, voice of the customer, customer satisfaction, Six Sigma quality. You can look these up online. The Danaher, the DBS uh, production system house, policy deployment. It's got this, all this stuff. You know, it has this temple and every space is populated with a word. But darn it, how does that help the leader lead? How does that help the leader forge a direction? There's some serious missing pieces. Even Scania, I had the privilege of working with them a number of years ago, and I, when I visited their Zwali plant, they had this life-size house. It would stay almost up to my shoulder. It was that tall, and it had moving pieces. And it had, the roof was continuous improvement, one pillar is right from me, which is the way Scania talks about quality right from me. It's going to be right from me, correct from me. On the other side is demand-driven output. In the very center, it says priority, lovely green. Number one, safety and environment. Two, quality. Three, delivery. Four, cost. And then across the bottom, it says things like tack time and level flow, visual, real-time, balanced. Uh, balanced flow, and at the very, very bottom, customer first, respect for the individual, elimination of waste. So, you know, it's a somewhat cleaner list, and it's certainly bigger, easier to see, and it is what is in their orientation room so that when new operators or new anybody comes in, they see the prominence of this house and they're taught from it. It's a 3D model. It's really quite handsome. It's a clever idea. And it may work for newcomers, but it does not work for the executive. I have met Scanny executives, and they are on a different wavelength. This is just completely subsumed. This information is subsumed, and they're making decisions not on the basis of that. This is kind of like the friendly version that's published for the masses. But it isn't really an operational model for leadership. No, not those guys. They are really amazing. Same thing I'm looking at now at Park Nicolette, their production system, which is very much built off of um, an amalgamation. This is a hospital in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
but something's missing. And even the great, the incomparable Virginia Mason Medical Center, their so-called strategic plan are simply components that are arranged in this case in a pyramid or a triangle. And while it is a kind of crib sheet for to remind us what are the important components to give them a kind of prominence, we see a lot of missing pieces. For example, there is no focus. The whole thing is the focus. How confusing is that? There is no destination for this year or for any year. How do you choose? What's more important? Do we all do them all simultaneously? Well, you certainly know the danger of that. Nothing has a valence. Nothing is more important than anything else. Except if you say, well, the roof is more important. Well, is it really, is it more important than the pillars that hold up the roof? What about the foundation that holds up the pillars? So it's a nice epigrammatic architecture that gives us some understanding, but it doesn't really help us operationalize the duty. So, you know, I looked at all those things and I got a chance to design one that made me happy. And it goes vision, mission, values, and be- sorry, customer, vision, mission, and there is a difference, values and beliefs, strategy, macrometric, so important. You need a lever if you're going to implement a strategy, strategic principles, tactical systems, tools, and methods. Those are the eight. It's a house. It starts from the top, but it works from the bottom up as well because these are supportive elements. And you see that, you see that as well in the, all the other houses, all the other pyramids, all the other arrays, that these are interactive. But you don't know how to operationalize them. I'm going to quote a wonderful pair of authors, Kuzas and Posner, they wrote the Leadership Challenge, which is, for me, the definitive book on leadership. It was written like 30 years ago. There's a new version. And these men are extraordinary thinkers and implementers. The Leadership Challenge, Kuzes and Posner, that's K-O-U-Z-E-S, K-O-U-Z-E-S, and P-O-S-N-E-R. Just need their book and my book when it comes out, and you'll be all set. (laughs) Anyway, they say, in some ways, leaders lead their lives backwards. They see pictures in their mind's eye of what the results will look like even before they start. That's what the operation systems improvement template is. It is that picture. Those are my words at the end. That's what it's for. So you can see the result even before you start. Which is to say to you, this is a thinking process. I want to take a moment first before we kind of walk through these. And it won't be exhaustive. This is not a training, but it will give you a taste, my walkthrough, of how this template is constructed. And I have something very particular in mind. The how has to do with the who. This construct is for the ranking side executive. So we'll be, let's just be on the GM level so that we're pretty high up. The GM works these features out, him or herself, and she works alone. Specifically, not only avoiding, but shunning the inputs of others. When we do this real time with executives, we say, here's the deal. We're happy you're interested, and we are very happy to teach you. And there's only one, um, what's it called? Deal breaker. You have to work on this alone, and if you bring other people in, we'll stop teaching you. This has to be your work. We will allow you one person, a member of your senior team, who can be a sounding board so you can sound through your thinking with someone who knows the organization 
almost as well as you do. So you have that sounding board. But this has got to be your work because we want you to lead the organization. We want you to know why this is your formulation of customer. That's usually something that is set in stone, so you don't have a lot of wiggle. You sometimes have a little wiggle on that. But vision, mission, values, and belief. You don't have much of a choice on strategy. When we get to it, you you get a choice of one for manufacturing strategy. But this has to be you. We have to hear your voice. This is eye-driven. If it is not eye-driven, you run the chance of just saying, we made a mistake instead of I made a mistake. It is very, very hard to lead what you don't own. And we have representatives of that throughout history. We have, for example, Yeshua himself, Jesus himself. We have Napoleon. They had a vision of a world, a sublime vision in their eyes, and they led it, and they represented it, and they were the touchstone. In this day and age, meaning now, in this world, now that we're in the 21st century, there has been an undue amount of emphasis placed on being politically correct. I believe it is important to be courteous. So do you. I believe it is important to exhibit humility. So do you. And I exhibit it in my life, and when I don't exhibit it, I get knocked up about the head, and then I I realize, oops, I've just been humbled. I get it. I know what I learned. It's part of being around. You're going to learn and better be humble. Better not use your position to get things done, your position and authority. Remember, leadership is about setting the vision and then going first. So this first part is yours. Wait until we get to the X-type because some of you have attempted to implement the X-type by committee. Danaher does this. And they have enough strength and push and power and fearsomeness for that to be fairly effective. But for me, I'm more interested in that resource that is within coming out for the leader and being at his disposal because he uses it. What do I want? (laughs) This is what we run around saying to our leaders. Hey, I want you to practice. I want. I want. Because when you start naming that, I want, something rises up in you that says, yes. Yes. I want this. I want this for this company. I want this for my people. I want this for my machines. I want this for myself. I want this. This feels right. Yes, there is coaching. If the leader wants to be coached, I'm there to coach him, to be a sounding board, or to say, no, you're doing it right. Just keep going. That's my coaching. No, you're doing it right. Keep going. So let me just hear again. Just say it in a few more words. What is it that you want? And he may say, for example, I just want, I want the schedule to be fixed and firm. He may be a plant manager. Or the same plant manager might say, I want, I want no more rework. (laughs) Or, as we learned, as I learned, a number of years ago when I was working with Rolls-Royce in Derby, you can want something that is fantastic and seems unreachable and yet is still available. And I am going to leave you with that cliffhanger right there. I'm going to tell you next time what this Lord, because Uh, someone in the House of Lords was the head of Rolls-Royce Aerospace at the time, what he said he wanted because he wanted it. And he he didn't give an inch and he didn't explain himself 
and he was leading to a horizon that everyone else thought was impossible, unthinkable, unspeakable, and so amazingly cool. And it was his decision to go there that fairy tale like turned everything around. So here's what I want. I want you to understand that you are already powerful. Leaders in the making, executive leaders in the making, visual leaders in the making, you are already powerful. Be powerful. That does not mean be harmful. It means find your power, find your vision, and and make it work for your work. You spend so much time there and so much worry when you're not there. Make sure you know why you're doing it. And don't accept someone else's version. This goes like this. I've only got a couple of minutes left. Just because corporate has given you the shiny poster with the house on it and the customer vision, mission, mission, doesn't mean that you swallow it whole. Your job then is to deconstruct what you've been given and make it work for you. And if you can't make it work for you, start having a discussion with your betters and saying, you know, I want to get behind your boss and I need help here. And you will bring a full sensibility, your bright mind to that discussion and your sincerity. And your boss will say, well, that's very interesting. Let me explain to you where my come from is. There's a good place to do it in. And I also want to squeeze in so you understand. After you've done that, you can give the same assignment to your direct reports and see what they come up with. And then you have a meeting of sharing. Mostly they are sharing with you. So I have to say thank you very much. (laughs) I have to say goodbye now. Thank you very much for tuning in. I really love this whole series on visual management and visual leadership and bringing the strength of visuality to the executive function. We have much more to share, much more, I have much more to say. Thank you very much for listening in. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I wish you a wonderful, a successful, a splendid journey to wherever you're going. And I hope that the visual workplace is part of your destination. Talk to you the next time. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.